Hello, everyone. I'm very excited about this episode, but I just want to give a trigger warning as we will be discussing postnatal mental health, postpartum psychosis, suicidal ideation and traumatic birth as well. So please feel free to skip this episode if you feel it's not the one for you. But I am really excited to open up the conversation around this topic and even more excited that the person I will be speaking to is a brilliant writer performance poet and author of an absolutely incredible book what have i done motherhood a mental illness and me it was one of stylist's best non-fiction books of 2020 it was described by adele as a book to save a whole generation of women um, and she's also the host of the zombie mum podcast um, and of course mother to her son jet it is laura dockrill hey thank you <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Thank you so much for coming on. I feel like motherhood for whatever reason is very romanticized. And so it's really nice to have um, podcasts such as mine or yours that actually talk about the more kind of well, reality of it, I guess. Totally. It is sensationalised. And I think, I mean, naively, and it's not our fault. It's really not our fault. It's the sensationalised kind of thing, uh, the uh, uh, experience that we see in the media of us automatically knowing what to do. Like we have this maternal seed in our belly that's just going to bloom and blossom and come to life once this baby is out of us. We're going to, you know, start wanting to hang washing from the line and baking fresh bread and just being a badass automatically. And Actually, it's the biggest life shift you can go through, but we don't feel like we can say because then people might think we're a bad mom and then we've heard the, heard the sensationalized, ugly versions in media of what a bad mom I'm doing, you know, speech quotation marks around it looks like too. And that can't be us. We can't have failed at life's biggest ask from us. Um, and so we keep it a secret. And then I think the whole thing just circulates, but it's a whole conspiracy, a toxic conspiracy. It's so funny, isn't it? The idea that if you are open about the difficulties and challenges that you're somehow considered negative. And I cringe. I don't know what you were like in your pregnancy, but I look back and I cringe so hard at myself because I remember oh thinking, oh, actually, I think I even said it. I was like, mum's really negative. And even when I gave birth, I was like, 
this is amazing. Like mums are just so <laughs> negative. And now I'm like, uh-huh. Are we negative or are we literally crying for help? <laughs> are we just desperate doing yeah. the best we can? I know. I, I totally hear that. What was your experience like from <clears throat> like pregnancy? And then pregnant, obviously we'll talk oh. about up to the point of birth. Well, exactly. As you've just said, you know, which I'm so glad you are because you're completely unpacking it. But um, yeah, like you, naive, blissfully naive. I, I was very, very in the height of love. I'd, um, my best friend and I, who we know each other since we were 14, we had just got together after being secretly in love with each other for years. And, I love um, that. And we got pregnant really quickly, which everyone else was going, what the hell are you doing? But to us, it's like, no, no. And I, and I and go, you know, jumping, skipping a little bit ahead to go backwards. You know, I don't think we would have survived this whole experience if we had, we not known each other for the amount of time we did. Um, but I, I honestly felt like I had this kind of protective, like, ring around me you know it's keeping me safe like friends couldn't fall out with me I couldn't get a cold shit stuff wasn't just wasn't going to happen because I felt so safe and then um, I enjoyed like being up in the middle of the night and eating peanut butter and toast and watching films and just feeling so you know all those things how naive you know I thought I can do this I was looking forward to the to giving birth vaginally I felt like I was up for it up for the challenge and um you just can't prepare no matter how many books you read the birthing plan to write a birthing plan. It just feels like a kind of passport to anxiety. It's like you're just locking yourself into something that most likely is not going to go the way you want already beginning the list of reasons why I have failed. And actually this thing is going to do it its way. However you, you know, you have no control over it really. So I, I'm exactly same as you. I have a playlist on my phone. Like you said, I did not need that playlist. Yeah, I literally was like, I could not give a shit what music is playing right now. <laughs> Just get this baby out of me. But you know what? It's interesting as a second time pregnant person, because the experience is very different. But I still do feel, even though I know what's coming and I'm shitting myself about the birth and I'm nervous about potentially going through the kind of um, postnatal depression again, I actually feel stronger because... I am prepared for it, but I still have that excitement in a way. And I still, um, I still am feeling like I'm really excited about this, which is actually mad because I remember when I first gave birth or particularly in that six to 12 months thinking like, why the fuck would people have another one? Like people are mental. And then I'd think, is there something wrong with me? Like, what am I not getting? And now, so it's nice that I'm in this situation again. And yes, it's not the same because let's be honest, people don't really give a shit the second time when you say you're having a baby. And, um, you know, in the first time, in the first pregnancy, Tommy would be like, you know, whatever you want, like, here's your water, here's a fan. Are you too hot? Are you too cold? And now it's like, we just don't have time for that with yeah, the toddler yeah, running yeah, around. Yeah, and sometimes no, I'm like, up. I'm pregnant. And he's like, good for you. <laughs> but I, I am experiencing joy and it's nice because I didn't Good. know if I would. Um, but I also think that I'm absolutely batshit crazy at the same no, time. No, I think that's wonderful. I think that, you know, I always think this, you know, as I feel like I've seen real, the real monsters of the world now, the real darkness, all the things that, are, you know, 
old people go, you know, that life can be hard and challenging. I feel like I've seen what I have had one of those exes on the map now. And still I'm in love with life, you know, and doing a simple thing like going to the supermarket or taking my little boy to the library, whatever. I feel even more enriched and empowered by those tiny, tiny little minuscule moments of the day. So the fact that, yes, this is a joyous celebratory thing that you're going through. And now you've seen it for what it really is and you still feel even excited and joyous and brilliant about it I think that's beautiful and so I think yes that should be celebrated too because now you're just being realistic which actually you know that things can not always go to plan and how wonderful but it is funny as well because you know like you were saying the the process of like doing the hospital bag and the playlist and all of that stuff now I'm like looking at options to be like how the fuck am I going to do this? Like, it's not about, yeah. it's not about what Just nighty, it's not about what nighty I've got on because I know I'll be butt naked <laughs> shitting myself. It's not, you know, it's not totally. any of those things. Um, no, you're literally like, how can I get this out? Could they just bring it out my mouth when I'm asleep? <laughs> yeah. Are you sure we can't do general anesthetic? <laughs> how do we get this out? Um, so what was the kind of, journey for you from going from this really excited beautiful pregnancy to birth and then after yeah well um I was you know I'm the oldest of my brother and sister and I was the first in my family to um have a baby same for Hugo my partner's size we had the same as you a lot of protection and safety support around us um which I feel was massively privileged as well and then um basically I became two weeks overdue and I was really showing really small so even though I kept going back to doctors being like everyone is set like people start pointing it out obviously which is very rude you'll notice that if you're pregnant isn't it everybody loves to give you an unsolicited point of view on your pregnancy your bump your how you're doing it fuck off um so I everyone was noting people on the um train you know would just would be like oh you don't you know you don't look nice whatever it was and I became overdue and um I just I wasn't manic at all now I know what media is I wasn't manic but I had a huge amount of energy even on like my due date I went for a run on my due date like which is just when I think back to that I was like just had I feel like I could kind of go clubbing or something like I just had um and I think this was nerves and anxiety I I have never I should say I've never experienced poor mental health before so I've had like you know normal anxiety for like things that you'd get anxious about but not you know this was something different um and so we were caught I'd had five I think of those dreadful stretch and sweeps now Mm -hmm. so I was you know we'd done everything we kind of could to bring things along but it was Valentine's Day. So it was a kind of energy at the hospital when we went down that apparently everybody wants a Valentine's baby. So I was just like, oh, no, 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 no. Are they all these people all two weeks overdue? Um, and then you, we did the whole corridor thing where you're like sitting there with these other, and everybody just seemed to look kind of, once again, I should say there is no right way to do this. I'm just saying from a first time, um, you know, expectant mother, I didn't know these things, but everybody else seemed to look teapot, like, you know, really heavy and like kind of slow, kind of, you know, natural, like mammals that were ready to go. And I was like, oh, I don't feel like, you know. I so were you having here. contractions at this point? No, I'd been asked to go down because I was two weeks overdue. Yeah. And um, we were like shown to the, it just began straight away that I, I had, I guess, being on, totally honest, that that vision that I had, which again, it's not my own fault. It's what I've seen in the media. And you've got nine, you know, 10 months to dream up what this day is going to look like. But it just, everything, it wasn't just how it looked. It just didn't feel how I'd imagine. And I'm, I'm not, I wasn't imagining like rolling, you know, sheets, white sheets and angels, you know, I, but I imagined a kind of, person being there going 
this is you know you know I've watched a lot of one born every minute yeah. I was ready for that experience and everything was just a bit bit is like kind of busy flustered like I was kind of inconvenience um I'm not prescribing blame to the NHS themselves I know they're hugely overworked and um and also there was comfort in that too the same way you like to see um kind of nonchalant air stewardesses or and stewards on a bit on a turbulent flight you know you want to see people being relaxed and chill but there was just an energy there that wasn't right and my blood pressure was just absolutely soaring through the roof and um very quickly things just began to unravel so what happened when you say it began to unravel like what was the process of your birth if you don't mind going yeah, over it again of course i'm just trying to remember all the exact details but in short um because there was it was just a complete casserole of nonsense it was i felt like i was kind of like on one of those um i don't like a kind of pranked you know like um that that prank show that used to be on it was like they were just I was you're waiting for pranked. ashton culture to come out and be I like one thousand percent looking for ashton like when's this guy coming out because it was it was just problem after problem it'd be like every time somebody the door swung open it would be to say some more bad news um so it was uh, there was protein in my urine straight away i was extremely highly anxious and I was feeling it in this way that I'd never I guess I had was experiencing my first panic attack where like you could have wrung me out I was sweating so much and I had these like highs I do I rash up anyway when I feel nervous or hot whatever but my, I literally like I've been stung by a thousand wasps and my heart I could just feel it throbbing from my chest and it, we um we would use the hosp- hospital um in central London and I everyone just kept telling me to enjoy the view. And meanwhile, my body was just ratting like I'd done a trillion drugs. And, um, and, and, and again, like you just mentioned, I just wanted to poo the entire time. I was like, I'm just going to shit. I could like poo, feel, poo enough to fill this entire room. And that was making me feel really self-conscious because I'd only just met these people, but I wasn't actually feeling any contractions. So I just was feeling like I was shitting myself in public. So I had that to contend with. And then it was just midwife after midwife. I think in total, we counted up to like 12 or 13 different midwives. And there was just nobody there to cling on to and go, what's going on? Um, the emergence basically jets heart. Somebody described it that um, every time my blood pressure was swung. So every time I was kind of having a sort of contraction, but at this point, I think I was on the epidural maybe at this point. So I wasn't feeling it, but Jet's heart was completely lowering. They described it as that he was falling underwater and then coming up to take a breath of air and going underneath. In short, he was had been starving in my womb. My placenta had failed. I I reckon well, basically there had been a complication and um, he he was essentially starving inside me. So the more overdue that I was going, he was just shrinking and shrinking. And then um, we had meconium. I called an emergency cesarean um, and. Yeah, he he came out this kind of, I, I thought again in my naive self, because I've been eating cheese toasties and ice cream in the middle of the night. I just had this up vision that he'd be this pride. I thought he's lodged in there somewhere. He's just up by my spine, clinging onto my ribs, you know. I thought he'd be this prized pumpkin and he, he was this like kind of starved and I just remember his first face, my foot thought being like, he's angry at me. That's what I thought when I saw him. He just I just thought he's this boy is so angry at me. And then that already implanted you know, you couldn't even, you know, these, these voices is my negative internal voice. You know, you couldn't even give birth naturally, Laura, you're a failed mom. How did you not spot the signs that he needed you? Did you, how did you not know? Where's your maternal instinct that you couldn't even pick up that he was suffering the meconium. And then that just started, I just 
created this like evidence list and you're already sleep deprived because you don't sleep, do you? And you're we're getting ready for your labor physically, your back's hurting and all that stuff. But also you're anxious, you're nervous. I can't sleep before I go on holiday, let alone back to. I've got to say birth. that was the most annoying thing. Having people be like, enjoy the sleep while you can. Yeah. And when you're like struggling with insomnia and to be fair, I've had it again. Like even like even <sighs> with a toddler, when sleep is like the most precious thing yeah. in the world to me, yeah. I yeah. wake up at like three, four, five at night. Same. And it's so annoying to have people tell you to enjoy your sleep while you Same. can. That, I'm not going to lie. That's partly, I think, why I popped was that I was taking so much unsolicited advice from from people, uh, kind people, people that I trust, that I look up to. Get as much sleep in as you can. Oh, sleep as much as you can before the baby comes or get in all your sleep at once. It's like, that. that's a coma. I can't possibly do that. Like, I can't get in 100 hours of sleep in one day. And and, and that and also as to... if you wake up after 100 hours and you're like, that's me for another year. <laughs> like, you know, like, is it Elf, yeah. Will Ferrell? Yeah. And he's like, I, I slept a whole 40 minutes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. <laughs> and so I was already on the back foot, I think. Yeah. And then that's when um, things just started to get from bad to worse because um, because he'd starved inside me. When he came out, he was starving. But mostly when if you have a um, cesarean, your milk takes a while to come in. Yeah. So then my milk just wasn't catching up with how hungry he was. And everyone, I mean, I could just see the look on all the staff's faces just basically saying, um this he's you've got a hungry baby on your hands he needs to play catch up me already on the back foot and I mean I'm not saying this to for every, anyone to go wow you're amazing but I, I caught sight of like the birthing notes in the ward and I'd fed for like 18 hours five minute break another five hours and I don't know if anyone's ever been in a maternity ward. Have you been in one of these? Um, I actually got kicked out after four hours after giving birth. (laughs) So no. So pros and cons to that because I didn't have to do the birthing ward, but I also went home pretty traumatized and uh, badly um, stitched up. (laughs) You have to do how many um, tests that, you know, um, driving lessons to get a car and this, they're just like, here's your baby. Bye now, bye bye now. (laughs) Maternity ward is like the most, imagine the hottest room you've ever been in shared with about eight other people and no air no space to breathe and if you're in the maternity ward it's because something's gone wrong right either you or the baby or something isn't right so everybody's going through their own miniature traumas side by side it's just a carousel of people crying um taking turns to cry adults children and we've all gone through this mad experience and can i um, ask at this point was your partner allowed in the maternity ward with yeah, you so i had baby before covid so hugo was there with me the whole entire time but Great. this is a guy that's asked me you know the day before i give birth if he's going to be born with teeth you know, he, <laughs> he doesn't know what he and um his little bag that he usually takes on tour with him that's got all his like you know guitar picks in it and leads and stuff is now filled with like baby blankets and muzzies. If I see another muzzy again, oh my God, I will be sick right now. Um, and um, yeah, and so he, the floor is like, you know, hard lino and your bed is really raised and you're not allowed to fall asleep with your baby on the chest. You have to physically feed them till they sleep and then place them in the cot. Jet is just not letting go of me at all, but I'm not allowed to sleep with him there. They won't let you as a rule. So I just didn't sleep and I, I honestly think something happened in there a switch flicked and I went mad there was so when you moment- say you went mad because I know you use this word and obviously yeah. a lot of a lot of like mental health advocates say yeah. don't use the word mad or crazy yeah. it's not but you openly say you were mad 
I went mad because I, I use the word mad because it's how, you know, we say shit. We say it's how it's my expression of it. I've said unwell before. Um, I used it on social media and people seem to think I've come down with a cold and there has to be some sort of differentiation for me to describe what this is. Um, and I, I, the word mad to me feels different to what I am now. Unwell, I still feel like that's something that we all experience every day as part of life. This was an extraordinary experience. This was not a regular. And I, and I have no problem when people say, God, you were mad. It's like, yeah, I, I was like, I read books, you know, I read, that's what I've grown up with. I read poems. I read books. I liken it to the mad madness that I have read. That's the word that I prefer to use. Unwell just doesn't cut it. Um, and now as time has gone on, I, I can say my illness or because I, I want people will always say, oh, that wasn't you. You know, it wasn't you. It was the illness. It wasn't you. It was the illness. Now I feel like, no, it was me. And I'm proud of me because that actually feels like it takes that away from me as well. It's like, no, that was my illness and I got better. And that was a part of me. That was obviously now I see it wasn't my fault. I was terrified, traumatized. And that was my reaction, my response. It might have been embarrassing. I might have had shame around it. It wasn't the prettiest thing in the world, but it was my response to fear. So um, when we're talking about the madness, this is yes. postpartum psychosis. Yeah. So at what point was it diagnosed? And at what point retrospectively, did you, did you think it started straight away from birth? And how long did it take for you to kind of feel that sort of connection or bond with Jet if you did? Sure. Um, I just wanted, just wanted to also say there was a part in the labor that I think also where I remember kind of losing, I thought, okay, I, I almost felt my true self like levitate away. And that was when they um, inserted a hook, the hook, the kind of needle to manually break my waters, right. um, which I can only describe as like a kind of scene from like Victorian torture. And I, they kind of made out as if it was going to be normal. And this, this hook is so long. And I just remember like shrieking off the bed. I've been fortunate enough to never really, I've never had any major inc incidents in my life, probably because I'm such a worse. I don't do anything <laughs> scary, <laughs> but suddenly needles are coming in you left, right and center and you're being checked and you're wired up and injections are going in you. And then this hook, and I, the pain I felt only to then find out that my waters had already broken. And that's what then it had scratched my son's head. So he came out with this like bloody head that was like all. So I can see now I look back, I'm like, of course I went mad, as you say, because you're, you're, you have this idea, as you say, this fluffy, like, you know, cozy, beautiful world. And then a hook's going up here and scratching your child's head and everything's scary everyone, when you're being rushed to emergency areas. So when that kind of, I guess, that moment of madness came, I was in the ward for a week without any sleep, just feeding nonstop. I'm, I'm vegetarian, but I was picking up chicken carcasses like an animal, like a Viking, ripping up flesh, drinking jugs of water, like without having, not having the time to fill a cup, just getting it down me. I, I just felt like a caged tiger. And um, I just thought when I get home, it will be okay. When I got home, that's actually when things went work, got worse because I was like, my house doesn't feel like my house. I don't feel like me. Nothing feels the same as I left it. I was one person last week and now I'm this whole different person. Um, and so you said, how long have I been with Jet? Or did you ask me? Yeah, did, did, you, because, um, did you feel <laughs> did you feel like you bonded with Jet straight away? Because for example, I was always told the moment that that baby's yeah, on your God. chest, you're going to feel the love like nothing like it. And I remember them putting Alf on my chest and I remember being like, I can't wait to get home to Snoop, who's my dog. And I just remember thinking like, <laughs> there's a video of me and they put him on my chest and I actually look a bit like, 
you all right? Yeah, because it's so, yeah. <laughs> and it's it, so and scary. I remember even when I took him home, I was a bit like, this is where you live. Like, I hope it's all right. Like, I felt like I just brought That's a lodger so- into the house. And it took probably, like, for me, it, I, I'd say, like, four days. It was, like, the breastfeeding and everything else. And then I had, like, a real high for four months. And then I crashed. But obviously, everyone's timelines are very unique and different. So, what was your... You were obviously going through all of these emotions. And then you have Jet Home. Yeah. How uh, did you feel... Really, well, I remember somebody that I worked with when not during when I was pregnant, when I was in my like I- I- ignorant phase said to me, just remember it was a dad. He went, just remember, um, they're a stranger. And I thought, Oh, you horrible, horrible person. Don't tell me my child is going to be a stranger. Like I've created him. And, um, yeah, that is exactly what it's like. You suddenly think, Oh my goodness, I know nothing about you, but you know, he was also, it, I think, first of all, it reminded me, um, well, no, not reminded me, so I never knew this. It, it, it showed me that Jet is, was a person immediately in his own right. He wasn't mine. So there would be doc- documents for me, documents for him. He, they would, they would be giving him injections without asking my permission, but being like, no, no, he's now a citizen within his own right with his own numbers and digits and details and nothing to do with you. And that suddenly is like, oh my God. Yeah. He's not just mine. And um, so that was all frightening and chaotic. And then it, it kind of removed me even more from him. I felt exactly the same from you. I just wanted life to go back to normal. And I think I was so sure he was going to die because there was so much panic in the room that I had almost, I know it sounds so, I don't mean this in a heartless way. I think I mean this in a survival way. I think I was preparing myself for the worst. So even when I brought him home, I was like, don't get attached Laura, because you don't know how long this is going to last. Like, don't get attached to this baby. Like it's not going to end well. Um, that kind of feeling. Then um, I have to say that the illness became so big that I didn't really feel anything. I didn't feel negatively towards him, um, which is another thing I'm trying to dismantle with the stereotype of postnatal mental illness is that we're baby killers or whatever it is. I had no negative feelings towards Jet. I I, I was all internalized about myself. And that is, I think, partly because of the stigma, pressure, expectation put upon us new parents that we need to be smashing it all the time and immediately be in love. And when you don't feel those feelings, you go, oh, well, then I'm just horrible. I, I, I was, I would relate myself to like the villainesses in, in Disney characters, like I'm the evil, wicked stepmother, things like that, which I'd never thought in my life because I just thought I was so cold and heartless, but it was the illness. But do you know what? For me, I, I always wonder, and I still wonder now, like, did I have postnatal depression or are babies just quite shit? And it was such a weird thing. And I know that some people love that like baby stage. But for me, I was thinking like, I don't think I'm depressed. I think motherhood is just crap. And so like, yes, mental health is serious. And I know like what we're going to talk about in your case, it's, it's mental health. But I think like, was it my mental health or also was it the re- realization that my 50-50 relationship, and by the way, I should caveat and say, Tommy is amazing and is 50-50 where he can be, but society doesn't allow it to be 50-50 because he was back at work after two weeks. He doesn't have boobs, so wasn't breastfeeding. Like, so biologically he couldn't do as much. So whilst he did all the other things, I felt like his life went back to normal very quickly or weren't a certain type of normal, whereas all the stuff I loved about my life, I couldn't do. And even, you know, going on to TV or DJing, I wanted to prove I was still Ashley and still, like I was not just a mum, but then I had to take him everywhere with me to do those things in case he needed feeding. And then I was breastfeeding on TV and I was thinking like, 
for fuck's sake, I wanted to be here to prove that I'm not a mum and now I'm cementing my mother status even more. And then suddenly people were almost only asking me to come on to talk about mother topics. And I was like, but I can still talk about politics or I can still talk about, you know, like social commentating or whatever else it was. And I was like, I'm building this like vicious cycle. And now... And the reason I kind of decided like, do you know what? I could do it all over again. It was that realization that they change and they become more fun and you get more back, but also you can have a bit of your independence back. Whereas at the time, I honestly felt trapped in this very permanent decision. And of course that's marred with guilt because you love them. They're this innocent little creature that you would protect. And this is what annoys me as well, what you're saying, this sort of like expectation on mothers or if you talk about that you're like struggling or that you're not enjoying it, that it's like this evil character that you're, you want to murder your child. But for me, it was the sacrifice because of my love that made it so fucking shit for me because I couldn't be me. I couldn't be Ashley because, you know, I breastfed and you wouldn't take a bottle and I, I was sleep deprived, but I felt like for me personally, like I, I had him in the bed, like I didn't want to let him go. Like I felt like we needed to be there next to each other. And of course, if I was a bit more pragmatic, I would have been like, I'm going to get some sleep. Tommy will give him the bottle. He can sleep over in his bedside crib. But it was almost like this crazy love for him where I lost myself. But I also fucking hated motherhood. And I, I remember thinking like when I got COVID, I was like, I can't even be ill. Like who's gonna look up? Who's gonna look after this child? Like what? No, it's God. it's like me forever, and that was the realization of like if you don't like your job, or you don't like a friend, or you don't like your boyfriend or your husband, like you can leave, but you can't you can walk away. Off. You can't no, walk you away can't. from parenting. No, you, can't. you you show up and you stick around. But you know, you tapped in something so nice there, which is the not just a mum thing. You know, this is something I've been struggling with again now in a new phase, which is you know, with the six week holidays, it's either spent either pretending I'm not a mum or I don't have a job and not being able to do anything properly in either capacity. And that is a strange, it does actually bring up some of the feelings that I felt in those early stages of motherhood, the holidays, because it reminds me of an identity loss, which I have spent so long trying to regain and get back again. And, um, you know, it's funny because I, I always need these like milestones to show me like I have recovered, I am better. And then I had this like, I know it sounds maybe cheesy, but this epiphany like last week where I was like, no, no, like Jet is the mark of my recovery. You know, he he is that. And this literally a mundane, boring day of pushing him on a swing. I mean, I find parks so boring. I can't tell you how <laughs> the playground makes me so bored and irritated. But that is actually essentially what I have been fighting to get back to is is just being there with him. That is the, what this whole fight has been about. I can completely identify, although mine was um, a, a back step, you know, delayed, but I guess October time, 2018, so Jet would have been eight months. I just then remember just being obsessively thrown. I felt like I'm so sorry. Like I was just so cold and not that person, you know, we, we can get that, but the, the suicidal thoughts, a lot of that, was purely because I felt so guilty that I wasn't giving him the love that I believed he deserved. Sorry, because I was busy being in a psychiatric ward. I wasn't like off in the Maldives with the gals. Like I was unable to have that space that was go without survival mode. So, I, and that's really interesting what you've just said, which is so, I love that, which is that you're, you're working, 
you got your independence back by working, but you're working now talking about your identity as a mother, which is exactly kind of not what you want to be on TV or, or known for, but that becomes your thing, which you we know, say on a parenting podcast, we say on a fucking <laughs> parenting podcast, but at the same time, you know, I, I like to think that I'm doing Jet a favor by going, yeah, when you have a baby, you don't have to pretend that this is the greatest thing ever all the time. You know, Jet, Jet will tell me now if he feels anxious, he's four and he'll say he feels anxious or we'll do CBT together. He knows I was unwell and he asks me for help. And I'm so proud that I, I was never taught this in school. I nobody ever sat me down and talked to me about antidepressants or anxiety or depression or insomnia and now my phone you know an autocorrect if I type the word it wants right inside my phone goes insomnia <laughs> spaghetti schizophrenia um, and um, I'm glad that I live in a world like that now because wisdom is power you know it's going to help say continue to inform me and help me grow up and I guess for Jet as well, you've got open dialogue about emotions, which I think, exactly. you know, so many of our generation didn't have that. It was kind of well, like, shame. suck it up. and Totally. Shame is the, was the biggest symptom of my illness by far. The Ultimate Podcast for Married at First Sight fans is here. This is Recapped at First Sight. The new podcast, keeping you up to date on all the love, fallouts, drama and secrets as the Married at First Sight UK bride and grooms try to make happy couples. And we're your happy couple right here, in a professional sense, of course. Join me, Kat Shube. And me, former Maths UK groom Bob Voisey, every morning after you've watched the latest episode on TV. Plus, we'll have some special guests along the way enjoying our very own wedding breakfast. You bit the caterers, right? Uh, about that. Recapped at first sight. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day Sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. So can we rewind because obviously you mentioned that you're in a psychiatric ward so we're back to you coming home yeah. 
with Jet yeah. from hospital. Yeah. And then yeah. you, you mentioned at eight months, that's when you were back. So what happened from- Oh yeah, I wasn't there that long, so don't worry. But um, I, 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 I like the first, what have I done was gonna originally be called the broken oven because that's how I felt. I felt like I was this oven with everybody with their head in the through the glass, you know, watching the cake rise or licking their lips being like, oh, when's this cake coming out? Cake came out and everyone like ran off to eat it. And I just felt like this oven that had cooked it and was just like slowly powering down on my own. Oh, she's broken. Sling her out on the old roadside. That's basically how I felt inside that everyone was there cooing over the baby, isn't he? And it's like, I felt like, I was like, why can't they see what I can see? Why can't they see that he's angry at me, that he's starved? He's got these bloody cuts all over his head, that he's shrink shriveled up. You could see where his skin had got plump once and then had like, you know, got re retracted. So it was all baggy and all his veins and everything were out. And I was, and I just thought, and he needs me nonstop, wants to be fed nonstop. And, um, it just became too much for me. So I think the first thing that happened was, um, I just started not, I lost track of time. So time became abstract. This is about now, uh, he's about a week and a half cause I was in the ward for a week. So this is like a week and a half old. I just was noticing I just wasn't feeding. My family all came to stay and my my house became like Glastonbury Festival, which was wonderful because it was essentially suicide watch. I thought they were there to help Jet, but it, now looking back, it wasn't. It's because I had basically um, expressed to a couple of my members of family that I was going soon. I wanted to put, you know, set up things in, you know, this is where my savings are going. This is where this is happening. Um, and really it was because I didn't want Jet to see me so ill but also my sight I was so sorry I'll back pedal so yeah that was happening and um, then I started thinking that music was giving me mess messages so I love music we had music on all the time when he was born and I was like this song is basically telling me that something really bad is about to happen every passing ambulance police siren I believe was coming to get me and I couldn't put my finger on it and I didn't know what it was all jumbled up in my mind I had no clarity at this point but I was just like something bad that kind of dread you get from you know the end of the school holidays maybe now kids will be feeling yeah, about going back into secondary school going back to school feeling Sunday night before work feeling or coming out of the cinema at three o'clock in the middle of winter and it's pitch black and you don't know where the day has gone dread times a million, anxiety times a million. I've fucked the whole world up over and I need to apologize to everybody kind of feeling. But it, um, I guess my illness is like a similar described to bipolar disorder, how it presents itself, but it's kind of sped up and condensed. So with one hour, it can be that true, true, true fear, but that was the main emotion. And then obviously because I'm human, I was trying to piece together. Why was I feeling like that? It must be because I had a baby and I'm a shit mom and I've always been shit. Well, why was that? And then my brain just began going back. Maybe it's because you didn't feed your hamster when you were younger and you're never good at taking care of your plants. And you were always a bad person. You were always a bad friend building together this narrative we had a plant outside like a, a fig tree and um i was just googling what the fig tree meant and i was like oh, the fig is like you know the fruit and, and it's to do with gods and in the garden of eden and latching that you know what don't forget my job i guess i was like piecing together the story behind it in fact it's messed up even on my nhs notes it says that she has a very big imagination and is a children's author and storyteller and i just thought no no i didn't dream this up like i was probably doing what anyone would be doing trying to work it all out um and then um I just started feeling further and further removed from Jet. Somebody had bought us a giant teddy bear, like a six foot bear in the post on my mum's work friends. And it just came the idea. It, it just said that the bear's watching you. It's got CCTV in its eyes and it knows you're a shit mum and it's filming you. 
who would be so interested in my boring little life? I really don't know, but that's what I believe. One time I was changing Jet's nappy and that's when it properly came. This, this voice just came into my mind and, um, and it just said something like, you know, you're along the lines of, it just came from inside. It wasn't like an external voice, but it just said it wasn't, but it wasn't mine. I'd had no control over it. And it just said, you've really fucked up. Like, you know what you've done, you fucked up. And I was like, oh my God. So I just asked, said to Hugo, can you change Jet's nappy continue I went down the hallway and the voice just seemed to come with me and it like followed me to the bedroom and I was like oh my god what is this you know when you're really have you been really drunk you know when you're really drunk and you sit on the toilet and it's kind of fun and you're like everything that's when you realize a little bit before that but you think it's like your first moment of quiet you may be in a busy bar or pub and you go oh god you're really drunk now it's like that feeling but a scary horror version where I was just in the bathroom like oh, you've actually gone. You've properly popped. I looked in the mirror and I just saw something in my eyes that just wasn't me. Like, look back, like, and I thought, oh, goodness, what do I do? I don't want to say this out loud. I don't want to keep it a secret. And um, the thing about my version of mental illness is that it, what I experienced, it felt really like a hostage situation, like a kind of bully that was basically saying, if you tell anybody, we're gonna, it's going to be, you know, we're going to make it worse for you, whatever that worse was, which is just so messed up. Cause it's like, can't I just not, can't my own brain just stop doing that? I was taking, then I took myself to the doctors, which I'm very proud of. Always ask for help. If anyone's feeling like this is nothing to be embarrassed or ashamed about. But you can't tell yourself that when you're in the throes of it. I was going to the GP every day saying, I can't explain to me something is wrong. Um, and that's when I just thought, I can't live like this, you know. And that's where a, a suicidal thought came. But I had, I had suicidal thoughts in many, many veins. One of them was that I just couldn't live like this. I just couldn't live with 24 hours of pure harassment in my mind. That's an impossible life to live. When people associate mental illness with weakness, it's it's crazy to me because it's it, your daily weightlifting, like mentally weightlifting psychologically on some new plane to even make a cup of tea is phenomenal, mighty task. Then I was suicidal in my psychosis. Everybody knows you're such a bad person. It's part of the story. You have to do this. And actually that had a few things, but then it was also, you know, survival. I believe the whole world was such a great threat to me that I wanted to you know, die by suicide so that, um, I could keep myself safe because I was so scared of what was to come, if that makes sense, which I believed was going to go down a worse, a worse, down a uglier route. So actually I can understand the logical want of that. You know, people jump out of burning buildings because they don't want to get burnt to a crisp. It's not because, Oh, ha ha ha. I'm so selfish and cowardly. It's because something potentially worse is coming. So I understand the logic of that, but living with that, you know, having to say out loud, I've just had a baby. I'm meant to be the happiest I've ever been. And I'm thinking about, you know, doing something really horrible to myself and to my family is, is not an easy thing to say out loud. I'm really sorry that you experienced that. And, <laughs> oh, it's um, not your fault, Ashley. No, I know, but I, like, I, I've been in the kind of suicidal ideation bit of motherhood as well. And I know how like shit it is. And I'm so happy that we're both like sat here now and smiling and telling the story, which will hopefully help other people. Me too. um, At what point did you actually get is it? I don't know what the, even the technical term yeah, is. Is it submitted? Sure. Well, I had. <laughs> um, well, I had had a big serious. It became quite a serious meeting at the gym. I cannot tell you how much I thought this is. This is not real. It was. 
a shock, like sitting in the, in a GP room, my local GP, where I usually go past so breezy, yo, hello, like past my little coffee shop, just absolutely upbeat, suddenly sitting there and a doctor saying, are you hearing voices? was just like, I can't believe this is happening to me. So my first response was no, because technically I wasn't hearing voices, but she was like, have you sort of looked around and, you know, someone being there? And I thought this is getting real. I remember all my hairs going on and going, I can't believe I'm being asked these questions. And like, no, like that sounds like the things we see in horror films. Absolutely not. She's like, it sounds like what you've got is postnatal depression. So, you know, you take these antidepressants, but she's like, it's going to take six weeks to kick in or whatever. And meanwhile, I've not slept for about two or three weeks, two weeks, jets feeding nonstop. I'm having suicidal thoughts. I'm having moments of racing thoughts, mania, doing things really quickly. I was literally going to a kitchen surface, moving everything around really, really quickly and doing nothing. You know, I couldn't account for time. Um, Sending strange messages to my friends, not nothing abusive, just cryptic and odd. Um, And I was very, very traumatized from the birth. So everyone knew that. Everyone was like, this sounds like PTSD, but it was something else. I had a meeting on the Friday with the GP and they said, look, let's see how you get on over the weekend, take the medication, see if you sleep. Everyone was desperate to get me to sleep. I was like a kind of fairy tale princess that the whole village was like, sleep, sleep. And that was just putting more pressure. I'm never going to sleep into these, under these circumstances. And the Saturday, that Friday night was the worst night of my whole entire life. I basically, my mum stepped in the bed with me and had to physically hold me down so that I didn't try and take my own life, which is, I can't imagine what that was like for her. I was begging her to let me go. The horrible thing about suicide is that I, I can't imagine how you'd even do it. You need to hold like a board meeting. It takes an awful lot of strength. Like to, it's not an easy thing to do. So that was awful. And I just said, some, you know, I need help and my whole family, thank God. And because um, they didn't want to take me back to the hospital where I'd had jet because that had a lot of trauma from there, which was the closest hospital. My GP was closed. So we took me luckily to a private doctor, which found a bed for me at um, a psychiatric ward. And I woke up on, ironically, on Mothering Sunday, my first ever Mothering Sunday in a psychiatric ward. It's completely, I'd managed to sleep. They'd given me some medication. Um, and I just remember, you know, waking up and just seeing an eye watching me in this room that I didn't know and going, oh my God. And that was the rock bottom of my life. Yeah. That was the worst moment of my whole life, but actually the best moment too, because it got me onto the path of where I am now. I literally just remember crawling across the floor, like in a duvet. Um, I was in general psych. They couldn't find space for me at a mother and baby unit. And, um, that, that was, you know, so I was in rooms all day long with, um, people with all different suffering with all different kind of illnesses from alcoholism, schizophrenia, bipolar, and just thinking, how the fuck did I get here? It, it actually probably didn't help me that bit because I, that's why the book's called, what have I done? Cause I wasn't sure if I was in a prison or in a, cause the first person I spoke to had lost his life due to alcohol. So I thought maybe this is a prison. Maybe I'm in a rehabilitation center. Maybe I've done a crime. Um, and then there was people suffering with eating disorders. And, and then actually, I'm so glad for this experience because I had this moment where I like zoomed out and I thought, what made you think, Laura, you were not ever going to end up in a place like this? You're a human being after all. And all these people are just human beings going through something. Um, and that just reminded me about the condition. And I actually feel looking back, although that was the loneliest experience I've ever been. I'm trying really badly not to cry. Well, that was the loneliest experience I've ever been in. It was also the most universal. I've never felt so connected to being part of human because it just made me, I wasn't this person I was in there. I was extremely shy, very, very quiet. 
Um, I had no like energy for life or interest anybody else. But, and I remember the first day my empathy coming back to me in that ward, because if I went in there now, I would have been hugging everybody and holding everyone's hands. But there I was just like, yeah, it's, um, it was very, very um, impactful. It's informed my whole life, that experience. Everyone should spend time in a psychiatric ward. It is so humbling. Well, I suppose as well, they say that you have to get to rock bottom to sort of rebuild. And all of like life experiences, it does allow you to feel empathy for so many other people. Um, totally. What? So how long were you there and then what was it like kind of coming out and when did you start to feel, I say normal, like are you ever yeah, normal sure, after sure, childbirth? Sure, but sure. When did you start to feel like the version of yourself that you are now? Sure. Well, um, obviously if you've ever gone through psychosis, you'll know that everything plays into it. So that's the difficult, it's a really uh, catch 22 illness. So like even when you're put into the hands of care, you then doesn't take long for you to not trust the hands of care that you're in. The paranoia is so strong and you're constantly combating the 30 years you've been on the planet and everything you know versus these two days that are suddenly sending you these messages. They are so powerful and convincing that you just, it's, and, and I, I don't even like taking a paracetamol, you know, I, don't, I can't even drink loose tea leaves. I get high off loose tea <laughs> and then I'm there like, you need to take this, 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 you know, all these tablets. I just thought, but it got to the point where the suicidal thoughts were so strong that I was like, I might as well go for it, go with along with this, whatever this doctor. It didn't help that it felt like actually every single person that seemed to be looking after me was a little bit eccentric. <laughs> so I was just like, no, 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 this is like some sort of, you know, Jordan Peele film. Everyone was just a little bit to the left. Um, and when I, luckily when I've gone back to visit people since I've been well, I'm like, oh no, everyone was just a little bit like all the doctors and everything. <laughs> um, so you lose all sense of trust, all sense of instinct, um, which is, obviously scary. Um, I just did, I was in the hospital my time there. I was a goody goody. I did everything I was told. Partly that was my illness, which made me think that I was involved in a custody battle and I had to be an A-star student to get out of the hospital. Otherwise Hugo and his family were going to take jet from me. But I'm kind of glad for that because it meant that I took all my meds. I got up, I did group therapy every single day. Um, and I mean, I was a complete catatonic zombie, but I still did it. Um, I ate three meals a day. I just ate everything that was in front of me and just got, took the sleeping tablets, slept, 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 and just tried my very, very, very best to get ready and um, get ready, get better. Um, and when I, my family had like covered my room with pictures of jet, which at the time I was like, why have you done this? But I, I kept, you know, I just, I just tried. I just tried. Obviously I was going through the, um, physical symptoms as well. So I had a scar still where I was like bleeding. My boobs were still making milk. I have these like sad memories of myself, you know, the door was open to my room. The nurses were coming past and I was like, squeezing breast milk out just to go down to the sink because I couldn't feed him because the medication I wasn't able to pass through the milk um but then obviously still playing this game with with Hugo playing tricks with my family not wanting to tell them stuff holding mafia meetings with my family that it was our family versus Hugo's family we were at war um just mad things and um luckily I got out after two weeks but it was too soon I probably should have spent another couple of weeks there but I felt already like time was ticking I was losing my bond with Jet they were going to take you know they were going to take Jet but also that um I was scared that you know, Jet wasn't going to know who I was and that he was going to 
we were separated um, and I felt guilty. I had mum guilt even in psychosis, how awful. Um, and then I was allowed home, um, but it was still a week. I was with For a whole week, I wasn't allowed to be on my own with Jet, which was really hard actually because um, it made me feel like I had done something wrong to him when I hadn't or couldn't be trusted with him. And I think that was really hard on my partner as well because he was like, I don't want to tell you you can't change him or be with him. He just really wasn't a dick about it. And then um, after, which is quite common after a psychosis, I had depression. I fell into a depressive episode, which was actually just as hard as the psychosis, but for different reasons where the psychosis is really manic and like a Rubik's cube and really bombastic. You can't help but pay attention to somebody with psychosis. You know, the pupils are massive and my behavior was strange. You can't eat. But depression, it's like everyone was kind of like, well, you're out now and you're not going to hurt anyone. But I was just so low. I had no energy, no spark. I didn't want to do anything or see anybody. And I just felt also in my own skin, a lot of the side effects of the medication mean you, you know, I'm, it's not about putting on weight. It's like you actually swell. So like, I just felt, and you feel heavy and that's incredible genius science of the medication that it slows you down, but it's not comfortable to, so when you see these, these pamphlets, like try swimming with your baby, it's like, how am I even meant to swim when I'm holding a newborn? Like how, how am I meant to swim? I just, I'm holding a baby. I might as well be standing watching TV. Um, so that was just impossible. Um, but, and then it was this writing this book that truly, truly saved my life. And it's so funny because I've avoided my imagination. I thought my imagination did this to me. I did this to me. I took all that blame. You know, I brought the illness on how, do you know how many writers wish they could bring madness on to write about it? Do you know how many <laughs> wish that they could do that, um, to get into the mind of a serial killer or whatever. It's just like, so, so awful that I was doing that to myself, making myself feel it was my fault. Um, but I didn't trust it. I was just so scared of being triggered. And then I realized like my whole life, that's always how I've dealt with everything. Good news, bad news, whatever, life stuff I've written. And um, it was happening whether I liked it or not. And I ended up writing the whole book on my phone with Jet on me because I just had to tell this story. Looking back, I think part of it was also in case I still didn't trust that I was going to be safe. And it was like, a this is my version of what actually happened. It was like a kind of declaration um, but something drove me to write that because I've tried writing my books on my phone since and it is not happening girl so like that definitely was something that wrote itself do you know what out of all of it I was like the most impressed by the fact you wrote it on your phone I was like <laughs> how <laughs> how I can't even read on my phone those thumbs were doing overtime so and how I old was Jet compelled. when the book came out uh, it was so he would just have turned two and then we were thrown into the pandemic, which again was another strange thing. I was like so ready to be, we were, we were meant to be launching at the Palladium and I was so ready to set it free and stand there emotionally naked. And suddenly I, you know, we were plunged into darkness and the warehouses were closed, the bookshops were closed. And, um, but then my therapist, I went to see her after that because I was worried about the book coming out and after COVID and everything. And she just said, well, you could look at it like, you know, you got to write that story down and nobody read it. So great. But it was actually well read, wasn't it? It was no, very it well was. received. Yeah, yeah, and no. um, it's actually on my on my list. I went through um, so many different books showing the reality of motherhood. And a lot of them are quite comedic as well as even though they're dark. But for me, that's what saved me. Like people like you writing it down on your phone and... And um, you're, you're honestly, like even talking to me today, like especially when I can see how emotional it still makes you, like you should be so proud because it's stories like yours that help when say I was in what I was going through with Alf, which was probably more postnatal depression. 
But I felt like you said earlier, the evil Disney person or that if I told people how I felt, they'd think I didn't love my child or they'd think I was evil or they'd think I was this like unmaternal woman. And actually the conclusion that I've come to for my thing is I wish I was a dad. Like I would be a great dad. (laughs) Expectations are so low. You get praise. Nobody criticizes you for being at work or for, you know, doing what you need to do. Or if you want to go out and see your friends, they're like, oh, well, he deserves a little break, doesn't he? Like if I was a dad, I would be loving life. Yeah, daddy daycare. They go, oh, it's Hugo babysitting. I'm like, he's not babysitting. He's being a dad. Yeah, I'm not giving him a fiver at the end of it. Like (laughs) it's mad, isn't it? As much as you want. And there's toast and bagels in the freezer. It's mad. I know. Every time I go out, whether it's for DJ gig or anything, still, what, 20 months now, people will still say, like, oh, who's looking after the baby? And I'm like, the the dad, his his, his dad. dad. Whereas Tommy went away for work for an entire week. And I was like, did anyone ask you who was looking after him? And he was like, no, well, I guess they would just presume. And I was like, exactly. Um, But It's so corrosive, isn't it? And it just doesn't help. It really. I mean, I've got to say that Hugo is just like, um, I mean, Jet and... The three of us are just such a unit. I'm not going to have any more babies. I was um, actually going to ask that with the experience of what yeah, you went through, have like an impact. chance, yeah, no, of me getting that again. And my saving grace, you know, is that I came out of this without Jet seeing how unwell I was. Um, so I didn't have to go through that. But we are so, you know, I've been teaching Jet about periods and I say, why do I have a period? And he goes, so you can have babies. And I said, but am I going to have many more babies? And he says, no, because you've got me. And I say, yes. And that's the, that's the way with all three of us. Hugo, absolutely. You know, it was two, if you look at it like the stereotype, there was two mums in that scenario, how I see it. You know, Hugo did everything and beyond that would, of the mum, if I was half the mum that he was, I would have been Aww. happy. You know, he was incredible. For anyone listening who might be listening because they know someone going through, whether it's, um, postnatal depression or postpartum psychosis and by the way just for anyone listening I know know that Google exists but it is a serious mental health illness that affects um, about 1,400 new mums every year and it is different to postnatal depression as you probably um, figure from listening to Laura's story but for anyone who is experiencing someone that they love going through it, what would be your advice to help? I'm so glad you asked that um, because people don't realise that they are they are so, so, so valuable in this moment because the illness is so specific to each person and it's very, it, it hides itself. And then you've got shame on top of that, doing the extra work to hide. So it's in those tiny, tiny, tiny details. You're looking out for the old bits of your friend that have changed in, in the gate, like the, the way they walk in their gait, in the, the way their eyes are, literally their mannerisms. I felt like I was posing, you know, being an imposter, like being like, what would a new mom dad do now? They'd probably kiss their baby, you know, like a kind of wood and pop it it's like in those moments if your friend is acting strange and that can be the word strange there's no other way to describe it in 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 those tiny moments that's when you start you know watching them closely asking if they're okay i always say treat it like um you know unattended luggage at a train station you know it could be nothing it could be nothing but ask you know get the help because you could go on to save someone's life and even if they push you away in the moment and go you know, if it has to get to that point where you have to go to A&E or anything like that and they're annoyed at you, I promise you they will look back and go, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's worth that pain in that moment to save somebody's life. And it is a life-threatening illness. It is considered as um, a medical emergency. So you have to act quickly. 
And for anyone who is experiencing what they think might be um, postpartum psychosis, what what advice after your entire experience, like what what hope or advice would you give? Yes. The great thing about postpartum psychosis is you can 100% get better. It's completely treatable. And actually, I'll tell you an advantage of postpartum psychosis to postnatal depression. <laughs> One of its advantages is that it is so ginormous that it is all hands do come together on deck. It's treated like it is, you know, you've had all your limbs chopped off. Whereas a postnatal depression, as you've probably seen with other people, you know, it can go on for years undetected and suffering. Um, so um, it will it will be very, very painful. But if with the right help and the right care, and if you ask for help and do all those brave things, you will get better and your, your children, you know, will get through it with you and they'll be very, 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 very proud of you. Oh, I was going to um, ask some questions that we've got from listeners, but actually after how meaty this is, I feel like there's so much to get through. And um, I just want to leave it on there because I, I, I think, you know, mental health, especially um, after having a baby, it is something that isn't talked about enough. And um, I, do you know what? I feel like excited to be going into the second pregnancy with the knowledge of the ifs and the buts whereas the first time I didn't even like I didn't want to watch one born every minute or anything because I was like I just need to know it's going to be positive whereas now um I still would have done it that way the first time because there is like beauty in the naivety of it all and and in that positive mental mindset but it's empowering for me to know that there are people like you that have been through how tough it is and who've come out the other side so honestly thank you so much for coming oh, to talk thank you that's and, a lovely thing to say I think that's true I think that's the right way to be and um, I just want to remind everyone as well, but I'll put all the details below that um, Laura's book is called What Have I Done? Motherhood, Mental Illness and Me. And um, you're also the host of the Zombie Mum podcast. Do you talk, so I guess you talk about um, a lot of mental health in the podcast yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, we do, yeah. Oh, I'm so honestly so grateful for your time and I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this episode of Mum's The Word Parenting Podcast as well. Um, thank you so much, Laura. Thank you. And then I, I always feel like a YouTuber when I say this and I say that every time, but don't forget if you are enjoying the podcast, then hit the subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode. And if you do want to get in touch, whether it's about the topics that we discussed today um, or maybe other areas that you want to discuss and um, get in touch, you can get in touch on WhatsApp. You can send a voice message, which is free. Um, at 075 um, or you can obviously send a text or email at askmumsthewordpod at gmail.com um, and of course leaving a review on Apple Podcasts helps as well and I'll be back with another episode same time same place next week Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. 
Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.